This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Yes, good afternoon everyone. God rules the world. Well, that's a statement that many people, probably most people, would dismiss almost immediately. Because many people would say, wouldn't they, that mankind dominates this earth. We see that the nations of the world have their various forms of government. And of course, throughout history, there's been many different various forms of government. There's been sovereign rule. There's even been dictatorship and empires. In later times, there's been democracy, hasn't there, and uh, communism, to name a few. But whatever kind of authority that any single particular nation may have as its government, it does appear on the face of it that mankind rules over himself, over his own affairs, and that man is the authority in the earth. So the majority of people, as we say, would dismiss the suggestion that God is in control. And yet this is actually what the Bible claims. Now in the book of Daniel, there, chapter 5 and, and verse 17, it, it's declared there that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. So that's the Bible claim. And what we can immediately see from, from that particular statement there is that the way that God rules the world, well, it's evident it's not actually immediately obvious the way that he controls it. In fact, unless we actually look to the Bible, then we would never know it. Because the Bible shows that God rules the earth in we might say, an unseen way. The vast majority, then, of the Earth's population are unaware that God is controlling the world according to his own purpose, and that he's doing that to bring about his ultimate purpose with the Earth. So then, if we do actually find that the evidence of the Bible is true and that God does rule the world, then, well, that evidence is even more compelling to us. Let's just turn again to the reading that we've taken together from Isaiah's prophecy there, and that chapter 46, where God declared this through the, through the prophet Isaiah. He declared that he is the only true God. Chapter 46, and let's just look again at verse 9 there. Uh, this is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So again, this is a, a very clear statement how that the God of the Bible declares he is the only God and there is no other like him because he alone as he says here he declares the end from the beginning so he makes known then 
through his word, the Bible, what's going to happen in future times. Declares it before it's done. Now only God can accurately foretell future events. So this is the first point that he makes. But the next point underlines that he not only foretells future events, but he actually causes them to come about. It is God then, through man we might say, that brings these things about. So in, in that verse 10, he declared that my counsel shall stand, my purpose that is, what, what God intends to do, in other words, that will stand, it will be accomplished. Now how does God do that, we might ask? Well, there's a, a little indication here in, in verse 11 of, as how he does it. Where it says there in verse 11 how he calls a ravenous uh, bird, uh, that is, he means a king or a ruler. Uh, and he, can't, he calls them from a, a country that may be far away and he brings that ruler and, and that nation to execute his counsel, to, to bring about his purpose at that time. And you see, there's, there are examples of God doing that, uh, particularly in the Old Testament part of the Bible, when he brought powerful nations against other, certain other nations, because at that time God saw fit to bring judgment uh, against those nations at that particular time. Now one prime example of that in the Old Testament is when God brought certain nations against his, his own people, Israel, because at that time Israel had rebelled against God. So then, if God has declared something, then he will cause it to come about. So the evidence that we need to examine is prophecy, isn't it? Prophecy is the foretelling of major events before they come to pass. In some cases, many, many years before they come to pass. And when they do actually occur, then that prophecy in itself is therefore evidence that God has declared it. So let's just move on to looking at, at some of these then. So we'll turn now then to Daniel's prophecy and chapter 2. Uh, where there is such one prophecy here. Um, it's a prophecy of four great empires of the past. But as we'll see actually the prophecy still hasn't come to its ultimate end even today. Now this was of course it was a prophecy given by God to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar was uh, a king of the time, a king of Babylon. Babylon, the great empire of that time. And the prophecy came to, to the king in the form of a dream. But he saw the dream, and he, but he didn't understand what it meant. He knew there was some meaning to it. And so he was deeply concerned about this. In fact, none of his own wise men could interpret the dream for him but there was an Israelite called Daniel who had already been taken captive into Babylon by that time and God showed Daniel the dream and its meaning so first of all Daniel himself had been shown the dream after the king of course had received it so let's just uh, look at that uh, what the dream was verse 31 of Daniel chapter 2 here this is Daniel now speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar he says thou O king saw us <clears throat> and behold a great image this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible 
This image's head was of fine gold. His breast and his arms were of silver. His belly and his, th his thighs were of brass. His legs of iron. His feet part of iron and part of clay. <clears throat> Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. So, just so that we can perhaps get some idea of what that... Uh, image was we've got an artist's impression here um, and the image was made from four metals as we've seen so the head was of gold the breast and the arms were silver the belly and the thighs were brass and the legs were iron then the, the feet were again they were iron but they were mixed with clay and so that image stood in this dream until a stone that was cut without human hands, it says, it struck the image on the feet. And the effect was the total destruction of the image itself, and the stone then became a kingdom that fills the whole earth. So those four metals represented kingdoms. And just so that we can get, uh, well, see the whole interpretation, we'll read what Daniel says about the interpretation from verse 37. He said, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces, and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter? And the dream is certain, 
and the interpretation thereof is sure. So, just to summarise that, that interpretation then, we've, we can see that God has revealed a, what we might call a broad outline of history, beginning from Daniel's time right through to the time when God is going to establish his own kingdom on the earth. So we can see here uh, from this screen that there were four kingdoms and the first of them, represented by that head of gold, was the kingdom of Babylon, as Daniel said that Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. And then there would be a second kingdom represented by the silver of that image. Now that was the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, which took over uh, the kingdom of Babylon. And so that became the great power there of that time. In fact, Daniel himself, the prophet, he lived long enough uh, to, to live into that uh, age of the Medes and Persian kingdom. After the Medes and Persian Empire came the Grecian Kingdom, the Empire of Greece, and you may well have heard of Alexander the Great. He was the king that uh, established that Grecian Kingdom. And then finally, the Iron was the Roman Empire, which again took over from the Grecian Empire. Now, Rome was often referred to as being as strong as iron at the time. And also there was the phrase, the iron rule of Rome. That might be a saying that you, you may have heard of. In fact, the Roman Empire, uh, at around, the, around 395 AD, it was divided then into two, into east and west. And so that's indicated again by this, this dream uh, with the two legs of the image. And since then, the territory of the Roman Empire has gone through many changes. But of course it's still there, isn't it? Now another point about those kingdoms is that when each of them had their ascendancy, we might say, they, they also dominated the land of Israel. That was the land, of course, that God had given to his people, the children of Israel. But because Israel disobeyed God, then he expelled Israel from their land and he used the, God brought the Babylonian power first of all to do that. But then after God had brought the Jews back or Israel back to uh, their land for a time, they were finally expelled by the Roman power in AD 70, about 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> as we said though, uh, the, this image is also a time prophecy as such which does have a conclusion when the image is destroyed by the stone and that occurs at the time of the feet and the toes of the image. Now interestingly, the feet have a, a mixture of iron and clay, don't they? Now Daniel said in verse 41 there that the, the kingdom was going to be divided and how that there was to be an element of iron still present within, that, within the feet at the time of, that, uh, of the feet but because there's also clay within the feet, then the iron is not as strong as it was at the time of the legs. In fact, the whole image is unstable, isn't it? Uh, so, as Daniel said, uh, the, at the time of the feet, it's, the idea is that it's not going to hold together. It's partly broken from being a whole kingdom. Now, it is interesting also to, to have seen that since the time of the Roman Empire, 
those nations that made up that empire have not been able to hold together have they uh, just as Daniel said in fact throughout, throughout history the lands of the old Roman empire have had many wars many conflicts since the days of that unified empire and today the days in which we live we see uh, great efforts going on being made by those nations to actually try to form a union however God's word here in Daniel declares that just as iron and clay cannot hold together ultimately so too those nations will ultimately not be able to, uh, to unify and it's going to be at the time of those kingdoms said Daniel that God will intervene in a direct and, an, and in a powerful way so again we can see that we are still within the time spoke, time spoke a scope of this prophecy and it does appear that we are at the time of the feet even at the time of the toes perhaps so we can then expect that the kingdom of God is very near quite possibly within our own lifetime so we're left with Daniel's last, last words on, on this prophecy as he told King Nebuchadnezzar there that the dream was certain in verse 30, uh, 45 there now the original Hebrew word there also has the meaning of truth so we could say yes it's certain but it's true as well and the interpretation is sure it's faithful now Daniel himself was a man of faith in God quite clearly and he was convinced in God's prophecy so we now in our own time we can look back we've got the advantage of time and of history that's gone haven't we and we can see that, that this prophecy has been proven to be true we can see that it has been sure and faithful as Daniel said so again what great evidence we have here because you see history is history isn't it we cannot deny what has happened in the past neither can we change what's gone before in history neither can anybody influence the future as an individual or certainly not on such a vast scale as this and over such a, a vast epoch of time we might say but God of course can he is outside of time in that sense so we believe then that this is undeniable proof of God's rule in the kingdoms of men so we've just looked then at the first part of evidence for God's rule in the earth we've just considered what we, we could think of as being God's global purpose with the kingdoms of men with his eventual purpose with the world let's move on now though to looking at what we could describe as more specific prophecies that focus on one individual nation or land now because of time we can only take uh, three examples here First of all, we're going to look again at the example of Babylon, but as we say, in, in some more detail. Then we're going to take the example of Egypt. Egypt being another nation which figures quite considerably in the Bible. And thirdly, with the people of Israel, we've mentioned them before, the, the Jewish people as they've become known as. And of course, there's a great deal of uh, Bible prophecy about the Jews and we've chosen uh, to look at those examples because each, each prophecy about those nations is different from the other the outcome is different 
they have different outcomes in God's purpose and because of that we feel that it shows that these prophecies cannot be a product of mere chance so then the first example we're going to look at is Babylon now Babylon was a city in the ancient land of Chaldea in fact it appears, first appears in Genesis actually chapter 10 and verse 10 and it's actually called Babel there but that is the same original Hebrew word Babel and Babylon it's, it is Babylon and of course it was at Babel in chapter 10 of Genesis where the tower of Babel was erected but Babylon itself later grew into a kingdom and we've mentioned that it subsequently enlarged its power and influence by taking surrounding nations into its territory usually by force as is the case usually isn't it now at the height of its power approximately 612 BC to 539 BC Babylon at its height had stretched from the land of Assyria in the east there down to the Persian Gulf and uh, right, which is, today is known as Iran of course uh, right over to the west to the Mediterranean Sea there and of course at, at that time it encompassed the land of Israel uh, it also reached down to the border of Egypt the northern border of Egypt but despite that gaining of territory and the height of uh, and, and uh, pomp of Babylon's power God said that Babylon was going to lose all that, all its territory and its power. He declared the end of Babylon to a number of his prophets. One of those was Isaiah. So we'll turn to Isaiah again, this time to chapter 13. Now what's very interesting about this particular prophecy in chapter 13 is that it was given about a hundred years before Babylon had actually come to the height of its power before Babylon had really become a, a strong power now verse, verse 1 says that this was the burden of Babylon so again it's just amazing because this is even before Babylon was a great power but we'll pick, just pick out some verses from chapter 13 then let's go in at verse 19 and Babylon the glory of kingdoms the beauty of the coldies excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tents there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. Um, so the reputation and glory of Babylon was going to disappear and as history unfolded that's what happened since the Medes and the Persians empire Babylon became completely desert deserted and it's, it's remained like that ever since now over the centuries travellers to that area uh, have spoken of that area as, as a rather we might say eerie place and wandering nomads wouldn't go there uh, because they thought it was inhabited by spirits and of course those nomads would probably go to places where most people would not want to go to but in the 19th century archaeologists began to dig 
in that area and they discovered the ruins of the ancient city of Babylon. And from those discoveries, the existence of Babylon as a powerful kingdom has been proved. So not only was it going to lose its prestige, but God also said that Babylon would cease to exist forever. And the passing of time, again, is evidence of that prophecy. Even today, Babylon has never existed since then. The ruins are there, but it's never been uh, an inhabited city. And even before the discovery of uh, those, uh, that ancient city, some historians uh, had actually suggested that it had never existed. They suggested Babylon was simply a mythical city that was, in their words, purely an imagination of the Jews. But, as we say, once archaeologists unearthed its ruins, the word of God has been verified again. And Babylon remains just as the scriptures foretold it would do thousands of years ago. Babylon has never been rebuilt, even though attempts have been made to do so. Uh, notably in our days, there was uh, the attempt of Saddam Hussein, wasn't there? Uh, but however, uh, the Gulf War in 1991, and then of course the invasion of Iraq itself in 2003, ended his ambitions. Evidence again then that God rules in the world so now we'll move on to that second example which is Egypt now as we know Egypt had a very prominent place in the history of the ancient world we know that it was a mighty power in the Middle East a long time actually before Babylon uh, became a strong power now Egypt was at its height round about 1600 BC <coughs> And of course there's, there's been many uh, discoveries of ancient buildings and structures. But of course the, the pyramids, <coughs> of course they, they have always been, been there and can be visited even today. Now there's a, a prophecy about Egypt in the book of Ezekiel. And so we'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 29. Again we have a remarkable prophecy here that foretells the unique history of Egypt that God has brought about. Chapter 29, and we'll go in at verse 13. Yet thus saith the Lord God, At the end of forty years will I gather the Egyptians from the people whither they were scattered. And I will bring again the captivity of Egypt, and will cause them to return into the land of Pathros, into the land of their habitation. And they shall be there a base kingdom. <coughs> it shall be the basest of the kingdoms, neither shall it exalt itself any more above the nations, for I will diminish them, that they shall no more rule over the nations. So this prophecy, as we can see, had an initial judgment upon the nation, uh, we could say. The Egyptians were going to be taken out of their land, and yet the prophecy says that after 40 years of being in, in captivity, they would re return. And how that subsequent to that return, 
Egypt, yes, they would continue as a nation after that, but they would forever continue as what we might say a humbled nation, a lowly nation we might say. And, and so this is exactly what is, uh, history has proven Egypt to be. Because Egypt has never regained any of its great power. It doesn't even have any great influence in world matters. And in later years, uh, Egypt has actually become one of the nations that's needed financial support from other wealthier nations, particularly from the, the Western nations. So since then, and until now, Egypt has been a base nation, a lowly nation. So, so far then, by looking at Babylon and Egypt, we can see how that the prophecies about them predicted very different futures for them, we might say. And those futures were filled up exactly fulfilled exactly as the Bible foretold. Because Babylon was destroyed and it's never existed since then and yet Egypt, yes it's, it's become a base nation but it's survived, hasn't it? Uh, and, uh, but as, we, as the prophecy says, without any power and any prominence that it, it once had. Now we want to look at what we think is the most convincing evidence of all and it's the people of Israel and they've become known as the Jews really haven't they and of course there's a great deal of prophecy in the Bible about God's chosen people so again we've got to be selective as to what we look at here so first of all we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28 Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the, of the Bible we're going to look at chapter 28 because just as God was just about to take Israel into the land that he'd promised them. Well, Moses here gives details of all the blessings that God was going to bring upon the people if they served God and obeyed his laws. But you see, if, if they turned away from God, he was going to curse them. And so what we, do, we just want to do, uh, because of our subject tonight, we're just going to look at a few of those cursings that's really what's relevant for us now and we'll go down to verse 36 of chapter 28 the Lord shall bring thee and thy king which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known and there, there shalt thou serve other gods wood and stone so again we, we get so many clear statements in these prophecies don't we so we can see very clearly that Israel would be taken out of their land to another nation and it was going to be another nation which neither they nor their fathers had known or that, that they'd been to we might say in the past so for instance we wouldn't uh, therefore expect Israel to be taken to Egypt again because God had brought them out of, of Egypt uh, carrying on in verse 37 and thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. Now this is taking the prophecy a stage further, isn't it? Because God would then lead them into other lands, further afield than that land uh, of their initial captors, we might say. And amongst those nations, they would become a proverb. Perhaps we might say they would gain a reputation. 
Well, now let's go right down the chapter to verse 64. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. So, God would scatter them amongst all peoples of the earth. But now God doesn't say there that they would disappear, does he? They weren't going to disappear. In fact, they would, they would still be recognisable as Jews. They will be scattered then, but not lost, we could say. Now verse 65. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. So they would never there find any lasting safety, we might say, or, or security. So much so that they would be fearful for their very lives. No assurance of their life. So, because God in the end, sorry, because Israel in the end did obey, disobey God, he brought the cursings upon them. God was going to remove them from the land of Israel, and they would be taken by force into captivity. First of all, the Assyrians came and took uh, the ten northern tribes of Israel away. Then later on, uh, the southern part of Israel, that is Judah, uh, they were taken away by the Babylonians, which we've mentioned. Um, however, 70 years after that, uh, it was the will of God that the Jews were allowed to return to the land. Uh, but, however, they were under rule, of course. And by then, the power of Babylon had been replaced uh, by the second of those kingdoms that we saw in Daniel chapter 2 by the Mede and Persian Empire. And then, Later, the Medan Persian kingdom was superseded by the Greek power, as we saw, and then lastly, the Roman Empire succeeded the Greek Empire. But of course, whilst the Jews were in, were in their land, uh, they were still under each of those successive powers. So they were therefore uh, under their rule, they were restricted in what they could and couldn't do, of course. Uh, and, and so that was the environment, in fact, in which Jesus Christ was born and which he lived. It was actually during the time of the Roman domination. As we mentioned before, though, by AD 70, nearly 40 years after the crucifixion of Christ, the Roman power, well, they finally expelled the Jews from their land. And the city of Jerusalem and the temple there were destroyed. And in fact, many Jews lost their lives at that time. That then was the end of the Jewish homeland, we could say. So in all the subsequent centuries, as, as the Jews spread throughout the world, they did become a sign, a source of derision to the nations. An astonishment, a proverb, proverb and a byword. Now the Hebrew word for astonishment can also be translated as a desolation. And again, that's that's what we've seen with the Jews there. They've existed, but desolate. And, as we say, they have become a proverb and a byword. In fact, the wandering Jew is perhaps a phrase 
that you've heard of. Uh, and that in, it, in itself is almost like a proverb, isn't it, of how the Jews have been scattered and how they've wandered from land to land over thousands of years, in fact. And there are many derisory sayings also about the Jews, aren't there? Because to many people, the Jews are a, a byword and a proverb. Now the third point uh, from this is that even though the Jews have been scattered into many countries of the world, even so they've retained their identity. They've not disappeared. They've remained distinctly Jewish. And so the dispersion of the Jews, that had begun in the days of Babylon, we mentioned, and they get that, that it then gained real impetus during the Roman Empire um, after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, what we've got here is, is a, a map, and I do apologise for the clarity of, of this map. It not, might not be too clear. Uh, but we've, we've, uh, we've got a map here that shows the extent of Jewish settlement in that Roman Empire. And this was, this was less than 300 years um, after they'd been expelled in, in AD 70. So by the year 300 AD, uh, the Jews were living in every part of the Roman Empire, uh, except for Britain by 300 AD, but of course they went there too and they spread even much further as well, haven't they? But here, uh, we've got this map here, and those uh, black areas uh, that you can probably see um, are Jewish communities of, uh, of at least hundreds of thousands. Um, so that's shown in the, in the markings there. So that's how they'd spread in less than 300 years. And, and since then, it seems that wherever civilization has spread, the Jewish people have followed. As we say, what's truly amazing is how that they've survived with their identity. As a race, they haven't disappeared. In, in fact, that's what normally would happen, isn't it? To any nation of people that don't have a homeland of their own uh, and have, has been scattered throughout the earth over such, such a long time, the Jews haven't had a homeland for around 2,000 years. So we've got those three main points there on the screen about the cursings of Israel. I'm just adding in this last one here. Fourth point is that they have been hated and persecuted amongst, amongst so many of the nations that they've been scattered throughout. Now, essentially, it has been persecution that's caused the Jews to become so widespread. That's been the main predominant uh, reason. Their history has been that wherever they've settled, sooner or later they experience persecution, in many different forms, that is, um, and then out, either out of their own choice or, or even forcibly, they've had to uh, move on and find somewhere else. Then they may be... They may be settled again in another place, but then in time persecution would arise again, and then the cycle would would uh, was, would be repeated. So the effect then is that they've moved further and further afield, and throughout their history they've suffered scorn, <coughs> contempt, and derision many times. In the twentieth century, there were the Russian pogroms, weren't there? And then, of course, in in Nazi Germany, there was the final solution to the Jewish question, as, as it was uh, uh, put, the phrase. They intended to destroy the Jewish race. But despite all this 
persecution for, as we say, nearly 2,000 years, they are still there. And it's remarkable, but that again is evidence of God's hand at work in the earth. We'll turn now to Jeremiah's prophecy and chapter 30. Because not only has God prophesied that they, the Jews that is, would be scattered throughout the earth and that they would be persecuted, but he's also promised that he would eventually gather Israel, the Jewish race, again together from all over the earth. So Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 3. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now, today, we're, we could say we're very privileged to live in the times that we do, because we've seen these things come about the creation of the Jewish state of Israel back in 1948 was an amazing event of the 20th century now, as we mentioned before the persecution uh, in Europe that they endured in the 1930s and 40s well that unleashed what's known as the terrible holocaust probably the worst spell of anti-Semitism ever seen where an estimated 6 million Jews died. But as we say, in 1948, that is three years after, the world, after world War II, the United Nations supported the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine. So the nation of Israel came into existence once again. And it wasn't just any land that they were given. They were given the very land that they'd, they'd had in the past and were expelled from. Now, as that nation of Israel was declared, they faced an immediate war with Arab nations around them. But even though at that time they were outnumbered, and of course they were outnumbered in, in subsequent wars as well, even against those odds, Israel were the victors. And since then, Israel has become a very strong nation in the Middle East, both militarily and economically. Now we've got another map. Here again, again, I apologise if it's not particularly clear, uh, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to just to, to see the, the massive influx of uh, Jewish immigrants from this map uh, that had occurred into Israel uh, between the years 1948 and 1964. So in 1948, there were less than 700,000 Jews in Palestine, but the growth in population rapidly increased once that state of Israel was declared. Now, those black lines that you can see there are actually arrowed lines, and they, they actually do give the numbers of uh, Jews, returning Jews from the various countries uh, shown on the map there. Again, it's in the many thousands. Uh, and so by 1964, as this map shows, which is, of course is less than 20 years after uh, Israel was uh, founded, there were over 2 million uh, Jews in the land at that time. Uh, that is, it, 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 in 1964. But today, there's over 6 million Jews in, in the land. Because now they have their homeland once again. Which, as we say, they've not possessed that land, or possessed any land, in fact, for nearly 2,000 years. 
So again, the prophecies concerning Israel are completely accurate. We as Christophians, we are convinced that this is undeniable evidence of God's rule in the earth. Remember that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? That king came to understand this particular <coughs> declaration that Daniel gave to him. How that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and setteth up over it, uh, sorry, giveth, giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Well, I hope that we've been able to show that that statement is true. To, that we've seen the evidence of God's rule in the world. So we've looked at examples of prophecy that foretell future events. And we've seen that God has fulfilled them. We've seen the broad outline of history from the book of Daniel. Those kingdoms in the Middle East then and later on with the Roman Empire. And how that we are near the time when God will establish his own kingdom on the earth. And we've looked at prophecies which have focused on specific nations and peoples. And there are many other prophecies of the Bible which are evidence of God's rule in the earth. So we urge you to look into these things even more and to consider that the Bible is right and that there's no other God except the, the God of the Bible because he alone declares the end from the beginning and his counsel does stand and that he does perform all his pleasure. And God's counsel is that he will ultimately establish his own kingdom throughout the whole world with his son, Jesus Christ, as king. <clears throat> if we want to have a place in that kingdom and to have a hope of eternal life in that kingdom, then we have to repent and to be baptised into Jesus Christ and to follow his example in our lives. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.